It's a funny place to be, stuck in a seemingly mundane world with an inner knowing that the universe is so much more than our mortal minds can comprehend. Yet we all have the capacity to know peace and our oneness with the wholeness of life. And through these interviews, discussions, and reflections, it is my intention to share this possibility. I'm Ryan Kurzak, and this is the Kriya Yoga Podcast. We know that the, the purpose of yoga is to neutralize those fluctuations in, in consciousness. And there are a couple of different ways that, that different systems dig into that. Um, the purpose of yoga, we know, is to, to still those things. And the way that is done is through the process of what is called samadhi, or bringing our attention into oneness. Now, we get the idea, or at least I remember thinking back, getting the idea that, well, if you just do this kind of technique, well, then you're just going to magically be there. And sometimes that happens. However, uh, at a deeper study of the Yoga Sutras, what we see is there's this description of different, different levels of samadhi. They, they describe it as a lower samadhi and they describe it as higher samadhi. And there's a process that you go through. And I, I am going to be doing um, some trainings on this so that people get an understanding of it, but I'm, I'm going to describe it here. Lower samadhi is said to be with support. And many people imagine it as though with support means, you know, you're doing your technique and that is supporting you to stay in the this, this state of samadhi. And then the idea of higher samadhi is without support. That's when you don't need to do anything to, uh, to make that happen. Now, what's beautiful about the Yoga Sutras is it goes through this process of step-by-step -step training you to get into um, samadhi and how to stay there. And so I'm going to try to describe it to you. And, and maybe um, the meditation we do, uh, maybe we'll do a meditation that supports this. Um, with support samadhi means that you are focusing on one thing. And one of the interesting things that yogis uh, focus on are the elements, the physical elements, fire, water, earth, ether, and air. Uh, even Sri um, in his commentary on the Bhagavad Gita discusses this as, as a way of getting into this. It's even in the Yoga Sutras. So let's take, for example, the idea of the earth element. Well, if we were going to meditate on the earth element, what we would do is we would use all of our mental capacity to think about rocks, mountains, hardness, density, um, gravity, weight. And when you're doing that, you are practicing samadhi on the earth element, even though you're thinking, but that's the thinking is the with support. So you, you're, it's, it's just like when you're trying to learn something else, if you just keep bringing your awareness back to it, then that is the support that is, is bringing you a state of samadhi. But that is a lower samadhi because it's requiring you to constantly remind yourself rocks, hardness, roughness, durability, these types of things. But then the next stage, the way this is taught is first you focus on that. Then after a few minutes of focusing on that, it's like your consciousness has a momentum to continuously think about that. And you'll find that to be true in other areas of life as well. And so then the next stage would be, all right, so durability. If I could feel that within my body, what would that be like? Heaviness, weight, strength. If I could feel these within my body, what would that feel like? And then you're starting to get to, you're still in a lower level of samadhi, but now it's a samadhi without support because you're not 
you're not you're not having to tell yourself how to do it all the time and you see this goes in stages so it's there's no magical formula it's you're training yourself to think about one thing now you're training yourself to let the words go and to and to abide in the feeling response of it and then the next stage once you've done it so much and you you've been there for a while uh, now it becomes natural. That's really all you're aware of is the sense of heaviness, density, the bones within the body and so on. And when, th when, that, when that is happening and you're not thinking about it and you're not forcing yourself to focus on it, then you are in a, a state of higher samadhi without support because it's happening naturally. And in the Yoga Sutras, they talk about this is the way that, that, that chitta, that consciousness is trained or conditioned. And that's why they use the elements to do this. They'll start with earth, then they'll move up to water. And it's going through the chakras. This is great because it's exactly what I wanted to talk about today anyway. And uh, then they go up to fire and then air and then space. And what, what's happening here is this is a program, a yogic program, I mean like training, that if you do it repeatedly, it is tra training your consciousness to hold it in one space and then let it continuously flow in that direction. There are ways of doing this, but it requires that you know that, that there are these levels and, and, and the thinking part of it is necessary. But then you, you think about it so much, it develops a groove and then you just keep going. But then you have to, um, I don't know if you saw the video called um, holding your mental breath or it's the one meditation technique all, yeah, all students should know. And that holding the mental breath is like, okay, now you're letting go of the words and now you're existing in this experience. And then you stay there for as long as you can. So to tie it back into things that you know already, what you need to do is whatever technique you are using, you have to find a way to mentally get into it first. If, if you've got distractions and fluctuations and it's okay if that's all you do for that time, like feeling the current going up the spine. Well, you're going to, what would it feel like if there was this cool rush of water going up the spine? What would it feel like if there was this uh, soothing, warm flow moving down the spine? What would it feel like if I was pulling more deeply into this really comfortable state? And you might be kind of talking to yourself in your head while you're doing that, but then eventually you're going to let that go. And now you're just going to focus on without words, what that feels like. And eventually it becomes so natural that you're not even having to hold it there anymore because the nature of consciousness, the nature of chitta is habit. So if your consciousness is hab habitually distracted, well, it's going to be easy for you to be distracted. But the more that you, you pull it in and you are training yourself in meditation to focus, be less distracted, well, then it's like that groove of um, distraction uh, goes away and the groove of focus gets deeper. And then eventually, that's why it's so beautiful how this works. And then eventually when you decide, I want to meditate on God, that infinite consciousness, we've well, got that deep groove that your, your consciousness just zoop, goes right in it and stays there for the whole duration of the contemplation. So um, I think I went somewhere else than you might've been intending, but Glenn, um, do you have any follow-up questions? Okay, all right. Okay, so your question is, um, how do you determine the difference between your intuition and just what your mind is up to? Um, that is a hard one. And that takes, again, um, time and practice to get the hang of, of noting the difference. Because like you, I mean, I remember, oh, I've got this great intuition. 
and I would stop and I would meditate and my mind would go off and I'm well, I'm going to follow that because it's great intuition. But I learned very quickly that, nope, that was just my mind firing stuff off. And I would follow it and I would say, gee, my intuition is really terrible. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't lead me to where I wanted to go at all. But what I found was we talk about or I've talked about the practice of truthfulness and truthfulness being a, um, a feeling that you have. Like when you are when you're telling someone that you really love that you love them, or when you are um, saying something that you know to be honest and true for you and ha has integrity, there's a feeling that I, I sense of like fullness with it versus when someone asks you a question and um, maybe you tell a little white lie. And if, you, if you're sensitive to truth, that little white, white lie, even though it's not that big a deal, it, it kind of hurts a little bit. It's like, oh, I don't really want to say that, but mm. um, so what I found was with intuition, it's a combination of um, in the beginning, the more you practice truth, the more you will be able to recognize um, when words come up, when ideas come up, when the mind or the chitta prevents or, or gives a, a sentence of, of understanding, then what you can do is you can look at it and you can say it and, and kind of feel, is this true? And if you have that sense of fullness, that sense of, yes, this is true, this, is, this has integrity, well, then you can follow it. If words and, and sentences come up for your intuition and it just doesn't quite feel right, and there might be a part of you that really wants it to feel right. I know that happens a lot, um, but you have to be able to back off and say, no, you know, you have to, even though I want it to feel right, that there's a sense of me that just doesn't quite feel full or strong about it. And then you have to have the strength to let it go. And the, the trouble with that is, at least in my experience, was that Sometimes you don't, you don't get any intuition in the sense of what to do. And then you're like, but I need to do something. So the hard part is recognizing that if there's no direct fullness or rightness to a possibility, the intuition might simply be don't do anything, just let it go. Um, the problem with, with, with intuition, what's not really a problem, it's just a, 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 an understanding from yoga. So it's important for us to discuss this. We have to remember again and again that um, uh, we are not entitled to, the, to what comes after we make a choice, meaning our intuition might say, yes, go in this direction. But that in no way means that um, by you going in that direction, everything's going to work out exactly the way you want it to. So the hardest part of, of this for us yogis is to, number one, be able to recognize the sense of yes, rightness follow that, but also be able to recognize that just because it felt right then doesn't mean it's going to give you the result that you want. It, it doesn't mean it's wrong, but it's, it doesn't necessarily mean that by you going in that direction, it's going to uh, appease your personality. And that always goes back to that process of, of uh, the Bhagavad Gita, that we are entitled to action only and not the fruits of action. If we could get our minds around that, if we could live our lives the best way we know how, and if we could do our best, and if we could be established in truth while not being caught up in whether things go well or whether things don't go well, we would be almost instantly probably enlightened. And that, that is our, our overarching task with what we are doing. Um, and, you know, the examples that, that I can think of that are big examples. And I, I always like to use the nuclear examples because they always seem to uh, 
I always think they, they pack the most punch and level the playing field so we don't have any questions about what I'm talking about. Um, but for example, you've heard me talk about um, my time with my late wife, Melissa, when she was diagnosed with an extremely aggressive form of leukemia. And she was all of a sudden, you know, we've lived a free life, never been in a hospital, never been sick, thinking that yoga and Ayurveda is going to carry us until the 80s and 90s and 100s. Within two days, she's in the hospital and she's not just in the hospital. She has to stay there for three weeks at a time because she has no immune system. Bam, all that happens. And uh, we go through these uh, treatments and the doctors come in and they say, here are your options. And they say, your options are, um, you know, chemotherapy for a long time with maintenance after that or a bone marrow transplant. And they said, none of those are... Um, None of those are guaranteed at all. So we meditated on it and we, we prayed about it. And the one that seemed to be the right way to go for both of us, we felt it like there was that feeling of fullness was the bone marrow transplant, which was the scariest one of them all. But when we made the decision, there was a sense of yes, there was a sense of fear even disappeared despite how hard it was going to be. Um, and we made that decision. We felt that thinking that, well, because we had that natural sense of upliftment and and fullness we we thought of course that means that that's the right decision that she's going to live another you know 20 30 40 years from it and that's not the way it went but that bone marrow transplant led all of us to realizations and understandings that we might not have had otherwise so it did not lead to the result that our little intellect wanted but it led to the highest result of her feeling supremely free at the end of me recognizing her freedom and her light and 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 the challenges the emotional and psychological challenges that it brought up for us like those weren't things that we said yes we want to do that but by following that intuition it led us there and exploring that and embracing that changed all of us, everyone who was involved, you know, her parents, even the doctors, uh, the nurses that took care of her and everyone. So I use that nuclear as in a nuclear bomb example, because I can't imagine anything bigger than that. Um, so that you understand that the intuition is a real distinct sense of yes, but that yes doesn't mean you're going to get everything that you want because it's not about you. And as you get to that feeling of yes, um, you do have to go through trial and error where you, 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 you kind of, I would even do this, write out what comes up in your mind that you think your intuition is giving you. And then I would look at it and I would just contemplate, is this the right way to go? And if there was a strong yes response, I would follow it. If none of them gave a strong yes response, I wouldn't do anything. And that is, that is a way of living moment by moment, which is really the whole process of, of yoga. Um, and that's what we're aiming to do. All right. So some of you, actually quite a few of you were at the retreat um, in New York uh, a week or so ago, and we, we touched upon this a little bit. So I wanted to ex expand upon it. So the question was, you know, how do we work with the yamas and niyamas? Or how do we work with those 16 qualities or so that are listed? Or they're not 16. There's quite a bit more than that, I believe. But it's chapter 16 of the Bhagavad Gita, the beginning of it, the, the qualities that are the divine manifestation of our personalities. Um, how do we work with those? Um, okay. This is one way to consider it. And I need to give a little bit of background first. Um, I was recently reading a book. It's Kriya Yoga. Uh, it's a very thick book. I, I'll have to go back and, and find it. But I believe it was written by um, 
Swami Satyananda, who was a Kriya Yoga teacher, not in this particular lineage, but a Kriya Yoga teacher nonetheless. And um, there was a discussion there on mental health and, and mental well-being, psychological health. And in a, in a sense, one of the things that he was implying or saying was that um, if you were psychologically and, and if you were psychologically and mentally healthy, you would probably be uh, spiritually aware and awake. He went on to say, if you experience things like anxiety or depression or fears and phobias or other mental health issues, that that is something that needs to be addressed and worked on. Now, he wasn't saying that things like anger and sadness were wrong. He was saying that they are appropriate when the situation is appropriate. But when you, um, when you find that you have this constant theme or thread of sadness or anger or anxiety or you name it, that, and it's not based on what's going on around you, it's not like a, a situational thing, then that tends to indicate that there is a, there is a, a mental or emotional or psychological uh, disturbance that needs to be cleared up. But he also went on to say that um, that's not a judgment because if you're a human being, you probably have those things. Everyone probably has them. And that what yoga does, what yoga gives the capacity to do is to create the space to pluck those out of your consciousness. And again, this is why I put so much emphasis on working with a counselor or working with someone who can attend to these things. Um, because in the beginning of this book, which I love, which is ties so much into what we've been discussing in these last few uh, videos and classes and our, our retreat is he said, what yoga does in the beginning is it kind of assumes that you are already at a place where you are mostly calm and relaxed inside. When you are already at a place where your body is physically strong enough and your mind is alert enough to be able to pay attention to what's going on subtly with the practices of yoga. And again, this doesn't mean that meditation and yoga um, are bad if you don't have all that worked out, because the practices themselves are wonderful for your body, for stress relief, and so on. But yoga, the real stuff, I mean, the stuff that, 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 that gives the depth of perception to higher realms and, and the stuff that Sri Yukteswar understood through his exploration of Samkhya philosophy and the holy science, to perceive that to feel that, to experience that, to understand that requires a depth of openness and a depth of expansion of consciousness that is not possible if we're all contracted down by depression, anxiety, fear, um, again, what we, any host of issues that you might have. So he starts out by saying that for yoga to work in the, the profound way that we really want it to, there has to be uh, some basic premise of calmness and relaxation already. Um, and then he goes on to say uh, in some of these chapters that um, there are ways of recognizing and neutralizing these mental, emotional, and psychological issues. Now, he didn't get into it as detailed as probably could have been because this book was written a long time ago and we probably didn't have the same understanding of resiliency and um, working through traumas and so on. But his general idea was, was on, um, on point with what we've been discussing. And that is this. So number one, 
at the retreat in New York, one of the things I said is if you want to know how, how mentally, emotionally, and psychologically um, balanced you are, uh, all you need to do is go through the yamas and niyamas, harmlessness, truthfulness, non-stealing, non-attachment, um, uh, contentment, purity, um, brahmacharya, surrender, and God. All you have to do is start with those and then ask yourself, can I do that? Can I do that? And if you can, no problem. If there's something that prevents you, it says, yeah, but sometimes I have to lie. Sometimes I can't be harmless. Sometimes, you know, if you've got this catch, like I can, but sometimes I can't. Well, that's an indication of where you need to work yogically, mentally, emotionally, psychologically. Because for a yogi, they're able to do that all the time once they've worked it out. Um, you're still a yogi when you're working it out, but the accomplished yogi doesn't say, should I, should I lie now or should I tell the truth now? The truthfulness is just what is there all the time. And we know that this is important. I'm stressing this because in the Yoga Sutras, there's the statement that the yamas and niyamas are the great vow, meaning once you begin yoga, then you are essentially taking the vow that you are going to live those things, do those things. That is your vow. Just like when you take a vow to marry someone, you're going to take care of them for better or for worse. You're not going to cheat on them. You're going to be kind to them. You're not going to be cruel. You know, all the things that are important to make a marriage work. You don't just say, well, is it okay to break that vow this time? No, <laughs> it's not okay to break the vows. Um, if you make a mistake, then you ask for forgiveness and you, you grow and you, you strengthen it. But it's not okay to consciously break that vow. Yes, you are all yogis. That was a question that just popped up. Um, so there's the idea that, that um, it is the great vow. But then it goes on to say, not very far past the yamas and niyamas, that these are applicable no matter time, space, circumstance, caste, creed. They are applicable no matter what. So it is stated in the Yoga Sutras that these are not suggestions. These are the important things that while you are becoming, you are, you are yogis now, but while you are becoming what we could say is an accomplished yogi, um, you are to work on those at all times. And again, if you want to know mentally, emotionally, psychologically, what do you need to work on to be healthy from the yogic standpoint? You ask yourself, okay, um, do I can I be content? Can I be content? And if the answer is no, well, then now you have to explore why can't I be content? And it is your duty to figure that out. And maybe you can do it on your own. Maybe you can do it on your own. And that's great if you can, but maybe you need help. Again, I've, as I've said before, I've been at meditation, Kriya Yoga uh, for 20, 21 years now. I have been extremely focused on it, but I've also been involved in counseling and therapy for that amount of time because I know that the mind is profoundly tricky and I need someone else to either confirm that I'm on the right path or to uh, someone I trust to confirm I'm on the right path or to help me navigate situations that might be too sticky for me to figure out. And I've got to say the combination between doing the inner work and, and, and working with a skilled counselor 
is just beautiful. I mean, I love it when I when I meet with my counselor and I say, all right, here's what I'm working on. And I throw it out there. And she helps me dig through the maze, the labyrinth of my own self-defeating qualities. And we just pluck it right out. And I feel freer afterwards. So many people avoid this. Many people don't take it seriously. Why? Because it is hard work. It takes time. It takes perseverance. So this is one of the ways that we can, we can address the yamas and niyamas is by looking at them and saying, am I capable of doing this? And if you are not capable of doing it, then you have to start journaling. You have to start contemplating. You have to start brainstorming. You have to start figuring out what do I need to do so that I eventually become good at that. Um, truthfulness has always been profoundly important to me. So while I I deeply value the truth, and even now, it's probably my favorite of the virtues because I see the power behind it and the the ability to help us through our practice, um, it took a long time for me to work through the the, the ability to trust that I could simply say the truth, that without, you know, getting the whole familial issues coming up, that I could listen to other people's truths without judgment, I had to work very hard on that. But now I feel very good about my capacity to speak, to understand, to listen, to even try to hear the truth. Even if, even if I don't believe someone, I will listen to see, is there something in there that might be uh, true that, that will help me understand where they're coming from? So one of the reasons that this is not emphasized in the yoga community is because it is hard work. But that is also why there are so few truly accomplished yogis versus all the people who are trying real hard. Um, it's, not, it's not difficult, but it does require having to get over your little self-defense mechanism so that you can admit truth is important. Harmlessness is important. Contentment is important. Purity is important. And it becomes joyful for you. So in the beginning, yes, you have to kind of use your willpower to, to try to make it so. But eventually there comes a point to where it just feels wrong not to be truthful, or it just feels wrong to commit harm to someone. Um, I'm no stranger to violence. Uh, I used to get in fights all the time. I've had my nose broke. I've been knocked out. Um, I can get very verbally aggressive if someone makes me angry. But over the years of practicing yoga, that doesn't feel right to me at all anymore. You know, so these things change you as you go. Now, the other side of this, we've discussed how to look into the yamas and niyamas and also those qualities in chapter 16 of the Bhagavad Gita. But here's how you can do it in a more manageable way. Hopefully it's more manageable. Where you start is um, just begin paying attention to what bothers you. Meaning just start right now and, and even notice, uh, even notice, like, how do you feel inside? Do you feel content? Are you comfortable? I mean, no one's expecting anything of you right here other than we just participate together and listen. Is there a sense of, yeah, I'm good here. I enjoy this. Okay. Nothing to worry about right now. But let's say you go into your day or your work. Obviously, you're not doing that today because you're on retreat. But let's say you go into your day and your spouse does something or you hear something on the news and it triggers a feeling of fear or anger or anxiety. All right, bam, there it is right in front of you. You have now been given the opportunity to wonder, why can't I be content right now? 
what is troubling me psychologically about the situation that's going on. Now, again, this is only necessary or this is only useful if what's happening really isn't a problem. So that's, again, why a counselor is useful because they help you see through you know, are you being abused? And that's, of course, why you feel terrible. Or are you reliving some kind of um, program that you got from childhood and you're projecting it onto your spouse? Through going, going through the process of meditation and yoga and, um, and exploring these things, you are making yourself stronger to face those realities. You're making yourself stronger to face whatever's getting in the way of your expression of all these virtues that we've talked about. And the virtues are natural to us. If we didn't have all these psychological complexes and quirks and idiosyncrasies, we would naturally be fearless. We would naturally be free of malice and anger. Now, again, it's okay to be angry if something happens right then, but then you let it pass. You know, you get punched in the face. Maybe it's all right to be angry for a few minutes, but if you hold on to it for years, then we know it's an issue. Um, so the, the long and short, the roundabout way of, of answering the question that you asked is simply, um, yes, it is overwhelming. It can be. But if, if you take it moment by moment and realizing that there might be big themes, I mean, there might be giant themes that are tied to a whole bunch of stuff, um, and you just chip away at it a little at a time, then eventually as the years go by, that theme will crumble or you'll have a realization, then it will be natural for you to be fearless. It will be natural for you um, to let anger pass. And I've seen this with so many uh, students, you know, um, one student in particular, he was a profoundly violent person and he was in with some very bad crowds. I mean, I'm not talking, I'm, I'm talking turn your stomach kind of stuff. And um, when he reflects back over the years of his practice and his, his attention to this work, he feels like a totally different person. And, and, and people have even said to him, they couldn't imagine, someone said this to him recently, and I, I was in the area when this happened. They said, you know, I couldn't, we couldn't imagine you having a crossword with anyone. And he just felt so empowered by having someone tell him that when he thought about his past when he thought about how he would react and respond to different things. So for him, that was a confirmation of how all of this, this work, this process was changing him. And he wasn't even engaged in deep psychotherapy. He wasn't engaged um, uh, as intensely as even what I'm trying to encourage you to do. Um, he was just doing the practices, doing his best saying, okay, today I'm going to try to keep my temper under control. Or today, I'm going to try to be more calm and content. He was just a little bit at a time trying to develop and cultivate these things. And over the course of not many years at all, I mean, it's only been maybe four, four years of, of uh, Kriya Yoga practice, he, he has mentioned how he is radically different. Um, so, um, Jenny, does this answer your question? I, okay, great. <clears throat> So consider all this. And, and these are big things. You know, these are, these are not, these discussions, I'm not talking about them or, or, or bringing them up with any idea that um, you're just going to knock it out of the park in the, in the next three weeks. You're just going to sit down, but yeah, sure. Um, 
I'm going to work on this. This is, this is why your life is your, is your, your Kriya yoga process. This is why your life is your Kriya yoga process, because this stuff keeps going. Even in the, the yoga sutras, there is a statement towards the end that essentially says, um, even an accomplished yogi, sometimes he will hit points or stages of meditation um, and, and stuff will come up. Why? You've heard me talk about this before, because the more you meditate, you are releasing all this attachments to confusion. And sometimes it's easy. It just goes away and it just happens, you know, by going to a retreat or hearing a certain word or being in the presence of someone that you respect um, and it's clearing it out. And so you're getting more and more and more space in your consciousness and your chitta. You, the grooves are being smoothed out. But then as consciousness expands, as you go further and further, well, maybe way out there on the periphery is a, a profound issue that you've never even looked at, dealt with, can believe is even something for you to face and you hit it. But you've been in such a blissful state. You've been in such a calm state with your yoga for years. Now you feel like you've gone back, you know, 20 years. And it's not that you have gone backwards anywhere. It's that you just simply have expanded so far that now you're hitting the bigger stuff the, the, or the stuff that's, that, that was so hidden under the morass of um, the other things that it's there. So I'm telling you that so you recognize that this is something that, that continues and proceeds. And even though you get clear, you get more distance and you get more, you get, you get uh, a better capacity to recognize what needs to be done and how to let things go. So the other side of it, or the, the further down the line is that even though there are still things for you to deal with, you recognize that you are, that you can, like you recognize the skill that you have. Oh, there it is. Okay, great get it out. You just flick it with your finger and it goes away. Whereas 15 years earlier, maybe you were so confused and you had to go to the counselor and you had to do your EFT tapping, then you had to get a massage and you had to think about it. Then you had to have a breakdown. You're like, ah, oh, there it is. Well, that, that process gets quicker and quicker and quicker. It's just continues. This episode of the Kriya Yoga podcast was made possible by donations from Kriya Yoga apprenticeship students and supporters of our Patreon community, at www.patreon.com forward slash Kriya Yoga.